Again, good morning, and it's uh, it's really good to be back. Um, I loved what we what we did. I loved where we went, but it's always really good to be home and to be able to um, be back with you guys uh, here at Westside. Um, as you can see, we're in the process of redoing our stage. Hopefully, that's going to be finished this week, um, and um, at least by next Sunday. That's my hope, um, just to give it a kind of a new look. So you've probably been wondering the last couple of weeks, hey, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, they're going to leave it like that. No, we're not. So uh, it's going to be good. I'm looking forward to that. But uh, that's kind of coming in the next couple of weeks. But again, if you're visiting with us today, I just want you to know, I say this every week that I'm here. I say this every week, and that is this two things. One is I don't believe anybody's here by accident. I believe you're here because God brought you here. And if he brought you here, he's got something for you. Even if you never come back to this place again, which I hope you do. But even if you didn't, he's got something for you today. Maybe it was a song that was sung. Maybe it's uh, what's in the message. or it's, Maybe it's just a connection you made with somebody. But he's got something for you. And my prayer is that when you leave this place, you'll be different than when you came in some way. The second thing is this, if you're visiting with us today, I challenge you to give us the next four to six weeks because I, I really believe that's the only way you'll really discover who we are as a church. And so that's my challenge uh, to those of you that might be visiting with us. So let's kind of jump in and, and uh, let's get started today. Um, excuse me, I just want to check the time, not that it matters, but you know, at least you'll think, hey, at least he's checking the time. Okay, so... <laughs> Again, uh, uh, Christmas time and the Christmas season is always a great time. For Lucy and I, none of our kids are close. As you know, we just came back from South Africa. That's not close. So our son, daughter-in-law, and we got two grandkids there. And then our other son, Kyle, uh, he's in Evansville, Indiana, and they have five kids. So five of our grandkids are there. And so we just don't get to see them much. So it's great at the holidays because a lot of times at the holidays you get to see family. And so we were able to spend time on that front. And then our other son and the, and the five kids are going to uh, uh, descend upon our house the day after Christmas. And they're going to come and be able to stay with us for a few days. And so Christmas time is just great for that. It's, it's great to, to be able to share together and to share with families. I came across this, though that may describe your Christmas at some point. You may have heard this before, but it's kind of been out there, but, but I love this. It says, you know Christmas is almost here when there are more pine needles on your carpet than on your tree. You ever had that happen? Yeah, come on, be honest, right? Unless you've got an artificial tree. Okay, uh, the second thing is this. The credit card is smoked along with the turkey and the ham, all right? Anybody's credit card has already kind of went skyrocket, you know? Or It's a Wonderful Life has been shown for the 13th time. A trip to the mall and back is more challenging than the Indy 500. I hate to be at the mall during this time of the year. Or the Salvation Army bell ringers start accepting credit cards. You know Christmas time is about here. Or this is the one that especially when our kids were young, and if you got young kids, you probably will understand this as well, and that is... You were pulling an all-nighter because of the words, 
some assembly required. Yeah, that's a misnomer. And <laughs> there's no just some assembly. It's an all-nighter. I mean, that's just the bottom line, no matter what it is. We were, um, we, we took, of course, Christmas gifts over for the grandkids, and so we let them open um, one of them up kind of at different times. And, and uh, our grandson, Oliver, who's like three, he, we got him this, um, he loves fire trucks, so it was a Legos fire truck. And so for the next several hours, my son was putting that Lego fire truck. It's only like this big, but it takes like two hours because the pieces are like this big. So it's that same thing, some assembly required. Here's the thing. I don't know if you realize this or not, but as a nation, we spend billions of dollars during the holiday season hoping that the latest and greatest gift will somehow fulfill us as well as fulfill those we give gifts to. So we run from store to store trying to find that perfect present. We shop till we drop. We go into more debt assuming that we're entitled to whatever it is we want. And then we try to find peace in the middle of the family soap opera. And then after all this craziness, we go to church and we leave wondering why we feel so disconnected and so far away from the birth of Jesus. You see, we need to realize that there's only one gift that can give us what we are searching for. There's only one gift. And each time we try to find it at the mall or online, we take another step away from the greatest gift that was ever given. And that's the gift of Jesus Christ. You see, the sad thing is this. This time of year, when it should be the easiest to celebrate Jesus and the easiest to discover hope and joy, unfortunately, it's often the hardest time to celebrate and the hardest to find joy. That's why this morning, as we continue in our series called The Cast of Christmas, I want to look at a very familiar passage that's found in the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And so if you've got your Bibles, just go ahead and open them up to the second chapter of the book of Luke. Now let me caution you on something for just a moment, and it's this. Sometimes we become so familiar with the Christmas story. I mean, let's be honest, you've heard it all your life, right? For most of you, you've heard it all your life, the Christmas story. It's not new. We become very familiar with it. And so we have to be careful because we can become so familiar with this story that we miss the little things and we miss some of the people that may not seem like major players but who were used to illustrate some very major principles. And so this morning I want to spend our time with a group of shepherds because as we unpack their part in this story we'll discover a message of hope and we'll discover a message of joy. That was not only a meant that was not only meant for them, but also applies to each and every one of us that's here today. So pray with me and then we'll begin. Father, I thank you so much. I thank you for the gift of your son. I thank you, Father, for what you have done for those who just turn their back on you. I mean, we've done it from the beginning, ever since the garden. Mankind has just turned his back on you, and yet you loved enough that you said, I'm going to send my son. 
give you thanks for that. And I praise you for that. This morning, Father, as we learn some things that, that maybe we've never really realized before, but are some things that can really help change who we are, God, help us to be open to that. Help us to be receptive today, Father. We love you and praise you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Here's what I want us to do. If you turn to Luke chapter 2, we're going to be starting in verse 8. We'll be reading through verse 18. If you would stand with me, if you would. Oh, I just want us to read this together as the body of Christ. So church, are you ready? Let's read together. That night, some of the shepherds were in the fields nearby watching their sheep. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord was shining around them, and they became very frightened. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I am bringing you good news that will be a great joy to all the people. Today your Savior was born in the town of David. He is Christ the Lord. This is how you will know him. You will find a baby wrapped in pieces of cloth and lying in a feeding box. Then a very large group of angels from heaven joined the first angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in heaven and on earth. Let there be peace among the people who please God. When the angels left them and went back to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So the shepherds went quickly and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a feeding trough. When they had seen him, they told what the angels had said about this child. Everyone was amazed at what the shepherds said to them. May God add his blessing on the reading of his word. You may be seated. Again, a very familiar passage. But I wonder, is, is there things that maybe we have missed as we've read that that can help us in our life? So here's what I want us to do. I just want us to kind of step back from this story for a moment. And I want you to imagine with me that you're part of a royal family. And you want to announce the most amazing and the most joyous news ever. It's the birth of a child that will literally change the course of history. Now, if that's, if that's you, who would you announce it to? I mean, who do you tell and who do you invite to come? You see, when a child is born to a member of royalty, it's a big deal. And invitations are sent to political leaders and foreign heads of state and to anyone who is anyone. But one thing they don't do, and that is this, is to send it to the outcasts of society. You don't find that happening. And here's the point. The point is this. The point is that you would expect an event like the birth of the Messiah to be announced to the most important people. But in our story, none of them got the news. None of them. None of them were invited. Now there's one thing that we need to keep in mind. There's only one invitation, one announcement of Jesus' birth recorded in the scriptures. Only one invitation from God to come visit Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus. Only one. So, who does God give that announcement to? Who does 
he invite to come and see the one who was born to die for the sins of all mankind? Who does, it, who does that announcement go to? Well, the announcement is given to a ragtag group of uneducated, smelly, low-class shepherds. That's who God invites. And you've got to understand, shepherds were probably the last people you would expect God to take notice of, especially for the birth of of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Why? Well, for two reasons. One is because they were considered religious outcasts. According to Jewish law, they were unclean. Their line of work prevented them from making sacrifices at the temple. It prevented them from showing up for the feast or going to the synagogue. And their deepest theological discussions were probably with a bunch of stupid sheep. When everyone else is doing a religious thing, they're just watching sheep. I mean, that's what they do. And so they were considered religious outcasts, but they were also considered social outcasts. Since they were constantly on the move to find new pastures for their flocks, they were looked on with suspicion. In other words, if something came up missing, who did it? Well, it was probably the, it was probably the shepherds. They're just thieves. I mean, that was the, the thinking. In fact, they were, they were not considered trustworthy. You see, being a shepherd gave them a lot of contact with sheep, but very little exposure and contact to people. And so they were considered social outcasts. So again, the question that we have to ask is this. Why do you think God sent the angel to the shepherds? Why was it important that that announcement Go to them. Why was that so important? Well, as I was thinking about this story was I, while I was in South Africa, because I had time to study there. In fact, I was sick for like three, three days straight. So I had plenty of time. I, and as I was thinking about this story, there were a couple things that kept going through my mind. Reasons that I believe that they are the ones who received this message. So I just want to share two things with you this morning. The first is this. I believe that God sent them this message because he was letting them know that the birth of his son, the Messiah, was for people just like them. I think God just wanted them to know that the birth of his son, it, it was for people just like them. Just like them. In other words, God doesn't respect and value kings and princes more than the common man, or priests and pastors more than the people in the seats. His love is available to everyone. Now here's what's so amazing about this section of Scripture. Because in these first few verses that we read, we discover two things. One is this, we discover what God's heart beats for. We see it here. What God's heart really beats for. And the second thing is this. We discover the meaning behind the birth of Jesus. Matthew's gospel put it this way. Matthew 1.21. And she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus. Why? Look, why? For he will save his people from their sins. So what does God's heart be for? I mean, what is the meaning behind this amazing birth? Well, I want you to look at what the angel said because it's so important. And there's a word that I've, that I've brought in caps 
because I want you to understand what this is saying. Look what it says. Today, your Savior was born in the town of David. He is Christ the Lord. Your Savior. Did you catch that? You want to know what the news was that calmed their fear? That was the news. Their Savior was born. They discovered that in one verse what God's heart beats for. And it was them. God's heart beats for them. And no matter what people said, and no matter how much the religious leaders put them down, they now knew that God loved them. You want to know why they were so afraid when the angel came to them? You know what one of the reasons was? It was because in their minds, they saw the coming of an angel as God's judgment upon them. In other words, if an angel appeared to you, it was because he was bringing God's judgment upon you. So in their mind, they were extremely afraid because they were expecting the judgment of God to come down and rain upon them. And instead of judgment, all of a sudden they received grace. They received grace. Their Messiah had come. And now everyone, including them, had a chance at life, eternal life with their God. In fact, let's just fast forward 30 years because the message was still the same from Jesus. I mean, all you have to do is look at who Jesus hung out with. He hung out with the sinners and he hung out with the lepers. He hung out with the outcasts of society. He hung out with these fishermen. All you got to do is look at who he hung out with. He hung out with those who needed him the most. And if I can be really honest with you, that is you and me, right? That's you and me because we are there. We're in the group of those who need him the most. He came for you so that you could know hope that's found only in him. He came so that you could experience joy that comes from knowing you're forgiven and that you have life eternal. You see the birth of Jesus? It's about God coming to us in, a, in our everyday lives and saying, you don't have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to be afraid. Because the love that I give, get this, it casts out all fear. You don't have to be afraid. It's about God meeting us in our pain and our loneliness and saying, it's okay, man. I understand and I got this. And by the way, you're not alone because I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. It's about God meeting us in our frustration and our anger and saying, I get it. I understand it. But together, we will learn how to deal with it. It's about God letting us know that Jesus' birth was for everyone. Even those you won't have anything to do with. Even those you don't like even those you put at arm's length. His birth was for everyone.
True story. His name was Bill. He had wild hair, wore a t-shirt and jeans with holes in them and flip-flops. That was his normal attire, partly because he was senior in college. Though mildly eccentric, he was a brilliant young man. And during his time in college, he became a Christian. Now, across the street from the campus was a very large, traditional church. They were wanting to develop a ministry to college students, but they weren't really sure how to go about it. Well, one day, Bill decided to go worship with them. Now, he was running late, so he walked in after the service had already started. He had his, he had his wild hair, his t-shirt, and his jeans, his flip-flops. Everybody else is dressed to the max, to the hilt, in suits and dresses. And he begins to walk down the aisle looking for a seat. But it was a holiday weekend, and so the church literally was just, it was just packed out. It was full. And as he walked towards the front, people became a little uncomfortable. In fact, nobody said a word to him, and nobody would move over to provide him with a seat. When he finally realized there was no seats, he just sat down in the aisle. He just sat down on the floor in the aisle, not even with the third row. And let me tell you, this kind of thing had never happened at this church before. And by now, the people were really uptight, and there, were, there was the tension in the air was so thick he could cut it with a knife. But then it happened. John, a deacon in the church, who was roughly 75 years old, got up and slowly made his way toward Bill. He was a very distinguished older man with a three-piece suit on, and he walked with a cane, so it took him a while to get down the aisle. But when the people saw John head towards this young man, they were thinking, now he's going to get it. Now he's going to get what he deserves. John's going to go down there and straighten him out. He's going to pick him He's going to take him out of here because he doesn't belong here. And slowly, John made his way towards Bill. And then it happened. As soon as he reached Bill, he laid his cane down on the floor. And he lowered himself as much as he could. And he simply turned to Bill and said, may I sit with you? And so John sat down next to Bill. And he worshiped with him so he wouldn't be alone and so that he would know that he was accepted and loved even if nobody else cared. I think that's why God sent the angel to the shepherds. It was to let them know and it was to let us know that the Messiah was not only for all people but more importantly than that the Messiah's birth was for them. And the Messiah's birth was for you. And so here's the question that I need to ask. And it's a question that you have to honestly answer. And the question is this. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you honestly believe that the birth of Jesus was for you? Not just the masses. 
But do you believe his birth was for you? You see, your answer will say a lot about how you live your life. This really came and hit home to me while we were uh, traveling uh, in South Africa. We were, the mission that my son works for, we used one of their uh, big SUVs so we could all go together. And as we were traveling there in South Africa, uh, Oliver, who's three, Michaela, who's seven, she was in the very back with Lucy and I was in the middle with Oliver. And they loved to look at the Waldo books. Any of you look at the Waldo books? You know the Waldo books? It's kind of like this. And as I saw that, I, I, it, it just kind of hit me. This is how most people live their life, I believe. Where's Waldo, right? We live our life knowing that, that God died for the masses, but the problem is we're hidden in there somewhere. We're in there, but we're hidden in there somewhere. And our thinking is this. Even though we may not say it, I think our lives demonstrate it by how we live. We, we, we kind of live the, this way. We, we kind of live the way of, oh, God, I don't know if you can find me. I'm in there, but I don't know if you can find me. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not, I don't know how you're going to find me, but God, I'm, I'm in here. And we just think we're mixed in with everybody so much so that, that God's easily can't find us. But that's not what God says. God says it's not like that. God says it's like this. God says, I look at that picture and you automatically pop to the front. And I don't see anything else but you. Why? Because my son came and was born to die for you. And so if the angel could stand before us today, I think he would say this. I think he would say, Kara, today your Savior, your Savior, was born. Daryl, your Savior was born. Tim, your Savior. Marissa, your Savior. Amy, your Savior was born today. Not just the masses, not just for everybody, but yours, personal. It becomes a very personal thing. Aaron, your Savior was born. You want to know why the shepherds internally were changed? Is because now they had a, a Messiah. Now they had a God that they knew loved them. No matter what anybody else said, they were loved by their God because he came for them. And he came for you, whether you want to believe it or not. It doesn't change the fact. But today, your Savior was born. But the second thing that hit me as I was studying this passage was this. I believe it was that this appearance was to show that the joy they were about to find had nothing to do with them or their circumstances. It was simply a result of what God had done. You see, watching sheep at night has its merits. But the hope and wonder and life-changing joy for them began with the news of the birth of their Messiah. 
And that joy grew as they came face to face with the one who came to give true joy and true life. You see, the reality of life is this. We all want things at Christmas to be just right, right? Don't we? I mean, we all want things to be just right at Christmas because for some reason, that's where we think our joy will be found. If everything's good at Christmas, if we get what we want and everything happens the way we want it to, somehow that's where joy will be found. But rather than the perfect Hallmark Christmas what most of us get is this, burned turkey, relatives that don't get along, and a sweater that's under the tree that you'd never buy for yourself in a million years, right? I mean, more times than not, our Christmas looks more like a tree that has fallen over and scattered its ornaments and scattered its lives in the living room rather than the cover of the latest issue of Southern Living. And the reality is this. Life often looks this way too. Instead of being perfect and pristine and rosy and bright, life is often filled with disappointments, unexpected difficulties, and sickness and heartaches. And that reality raises some interesting questions. Like, does life have to be perfect for us to find hope and joy? That's it. Does life have to be perfect before we really experience hope and joy? Does Christmas have to be have to unfold the way we envision it in our dreams for us to really be renewed by the season? Or does this false idea that everything has to be perfect before we can find true hope and joy, does that prevent us from experiencing the joy that Jesus wants to bring every day of our life? And I would say, yes, it does. You see, these questions, I think, are where the shepherds come in. And getting beyond this need of wanting a perfect world is where the shepherds can offer us a perspective on finding joy in a world that is always less than perfect. Again, before this life-changing announcement by the angels, the shepherds lived on the bottom of the totem pole as far as society was concerned. They lived tough, stress-filled lives 24-7, 360 days a year with very few comforts of life. And after this amazing encounter with the angels and with baby Jesus, their way of life really didn't change that much. I mean, they didn't sign a book deal They didn't go on speaking tours. They didn't star in their own reality TV show, right? By and large, the best we can discover is that they returned to the same difficulties and the same struggles of life as they had before. With this one exception. Now they had discovered joy. True and lasting joy. And it wasn't because of their circumstances and the fact that their circumstances got better. Not because people treated them differently because they didn't. But simply because they had come face to face with the one who gives true joy. Now they had a reason to rejoice. Now they had a message to share with everyone. Even those who looked down on them. 
they had a message to share. The birth of Jesus brought true joy into their lives in spite of the circumstances of that life. Now, I want to give you an important principle, and I need you to write this down because you need to remember it. It is simply this. One of the keys to a life of joy is to rejoice even when the circumstances of life are disappointing or painful. Even when you don't understand why this is happening to you. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. Because it's not. I'm not saying that it automatically is going to happen and you're just automatically going to be hunky-dory. No, I'm not saying that because it is difficult. But one of the keys to really finding joy that lasts is to rejoice even when the circumstances of life are tough. I love the amazing prayer of the prophet Habakkuk. Because the prophet praised to God during a time when Israel was heavy in wickedness, heavy in idolatry, and was about to be overtaken by the Assyrians. And as I read this prayer in just a second, this prayer in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, I want you to pay attention to both the circumstances of the prophet that they are facing as well as his response. Follow along as I read. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, in the God of my salvation. In spite of all that was going wrong in Israel, Habakkuk's response is to rejoice. And not just to rejoice, but to be joyful. Here's our pattern. Here's the way most people react. This is our pattern of life. Our pattern is this. Good things happen, then we feel happy, then we feel joy, then we rejoice. That's our pattern. And God says, that's not it. Down. God says, you want real joy? Then you start rejoicing. Because it's through the rejoicing that you discover the joy. Maybe that's why Paul could write in Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Paul was in prison when he wrote those words. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You see, what the, the angel suggested to the shepherds and what is so important for all of us to embrace is that joy is the ability to find contentment and peace and hope in God no matter what is happening in life. Joy is the ability to say that because God loves me, is with me and guides me, I am at peace. Joy is the ability to sense God's goodness and mercy even when all we see is badness. Joy is the ability to recognize our blessedness even when there seems to be no tangible blessing. Joy is the great gift that the angel gave to the shepherds and it transcended everything else that was happening around them. That's joy. We need to close. Here's the thing. As I thought about the shepherds' encounter with the angels, as they heard the news, that their Savior had been born. 
as I thought about the joy that entered their hearts as they came face to face with baby Jesus. Something hit me and it hit me hard. And it's this. Their opportunity to experience this life-changing moment only happened because they were willing to accept the invitation the angels gave them and then act upon it. You get that? Their ability to find joy and hope, it only happened because of their willingness to accept the angel's invitation and then go and act on it. Let me tell you, hope and joy begin for us in the same way as it began for the shepherds. It begins with accepting his invitation so that you can meet Jesus. Because without that foundation, how can we hope to have lasting joy? Let me tell you, very few things last forever. But an encounter with Jesus remains and grows through all eternity. Meeting Jesus never stops impacting, shaping, and transforming our lives. And it never stops giving us hope for the present as well as the future. And it never stops giving us opportunities to experience joy. Now here's why it hit me so hard. And I'll just be honest with you. And it's not just our church. I mean, it's every church on the planet, just about. But week after week, we have people that come, and churches have people that come, and they come and they sit, and they hear the message. They hear the announcement. And they're given a choice. Do they accept the announcement and act on it, or do they leave waiting another week to hear the announcement. And that's why it hit me so hard because week after week I know there are people who sit here who need to make decisions for Christ. Either to give their life to him for the very first time and to be baptized into him. Or people who just need to come in repentance because their life has taken a, a turn for the worst. And they've kind of just fallen away from God and from Jesus. And they just need to come in, re in repentance and say, you're right, I just need to give my life back to God. Week after week, this happens in churches all across our country. I never want, I never want to not give you an opportunity to not hear the announcement. I want you to hear the announcement. The Savior's been born, and he's been born for you. But it's up to you whether you accept that invitation. So today, as we come to this time of reflection, and we go into a time of the Lord's Supper, I don't know where you're at, man. I don't, I don't, I don't know what's in your heart. I don't know what you've come here today with. But if you're struggling, and there are things in your life that you just need to get right, don't put it off. come to Jesus either for the first time or in repentance or maybe you just need prayer maybe you just get some things going on that you just need 
You just need prayer today, and, and we just want to pray with you. The invitation's given. I can't answer it for you, but you can. We're going to go into a time of the Lord's Supper. As a church, it's a part of who we are. It's a part of our DNA. And so if you're visiting with us today, we partake of the Lord's Supper each and every week. We have three stations, one here, one here, and one here. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand and to come. And if you'll come down the middle aisle, and then if you'll get, take the bread and dip it in the cup and then go back and be seated and just spend some time with Jesus. After everybody's been served, we, we will worship together. But here's the thing. If you have something on your heart today, if you're struggling, if you need prayer, if you need to make a decision, I'm going to be sitting right over here. And I'd love to talk with you and share with you and to help you with whatever decisions on your life or on your, on your heart. That's the invitation today. It's to come. Again, as a church, we communion is just a part of who we are. We believe the first church gave us that example in the book of Acts, and we follow that each and every week. It's just a part of who we are. It's part of our DNA. But it's not just for our church. It's for anybody. It's giving your life to Jesus. This is your chance to be with God. But if you have anything today, I'll be right over here. When we stand together, Andy, would you pray for us?